We're going to continue our series through the book of Genesis this morning. And believe it or not, we're about after today, I think like four weeks away from finishing this book and we'll launch into the Gospel of Luke at the end of November. And as we turn to the sermon today and the text today, I want to ask you about impossible situations. You know, sometimes we refer to these in our culture as living between a rock and a hard place, impossible situations, not knowing what to do next, Um, situations that feel like there's no way out, that you're stuck, that there's no door forward. And this could be, maybe it's like like you're in college and you've racked up an insane amount of debt, um, whether that's through your student loans or through the credit cards that just keep being mailed to you and offering you credit for no reason at all. Um, maybe it's the commitment that you made like to something a long time ago and you're like, dang it, I don't really want to go to this thing. How do I get out of it? Um, maybe it's a marriage that you feel trapped within. But maybe the impossible situations you find yourself in are not really... Um, the result of your own doing. Maybe they're the results of sin that's been around you. You could think of really big examples of seemingly impossible situations, right? Like we can think of racism of the Jim Crow South. We could think of genocide of the Holocaust. Those are big things that look like impossible to get out of for those who are facing them at the time. But what if we drilled down a bit more personally And say, what are the impossible, seemingly difficult situations that you cannot seem to escape? The diagnosis of a disease, something relevant to our people lately. The mistreatment of a family member, the harassment from a boss, maybe just constant turmoil that you can't seem to get out of. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to step back into the life of Joseph, a man whose dreams keep coming to life, and a God who keeps working behind the scene, behind what they could see with their eyes, a God who's working behind the scenes, really, in orchestrating things for his glory and for the good of his people and his plan. And what I want us to see as we look at this text today is that When sin oppresses us, God is with us. That when sin, in whatever way it manifests itself, whether that's through the temptation that you're experiencing, whether that's through things being done to you, whether whatever it might be, whether it's sin and the effects of it that we live in in the fall with brokenness and sin and disease, that when sin oppresses us, however it comes to us, God is with us and with his people. So with that, please turn to your, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to read the whole thing at once here, and then uh, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond. Hear God's word. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. 
From the time he put him in charge of his household and all and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. And after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me, with me here and my, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in his house and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her hand and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. But Joseph's garment beside She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, uh, these things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden didn't bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word says, that we are your people, the flock under your care. And Father, we look to your son, the good shepherd, to lead us and guide us through your word. Would you send out your light and your truth and let them lead us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So as we work through this um, passage this morning, we'll have three points um, to kind of move us through the story. The first is sold, bought, and elevated. Last week, we learned about teenage Joseph and the dysfunctional family that he was a part of. He was the favorite child of his dad, so much the favorite that he was given a very fancy coat um, that his dad had specially made for him, a visible picture of his father's love. And um, you might remember that Joseph had these dreams of his whole family bowing down to him. And one day that his brothers were fed up with bratty Joseph, who was kind of the spoiled favorite child, and were sick of hearing about his dreams that they threw him in a pit and then later sold him into slavery. And that is kind of where we find ourselves today. Um, Now, if you had younger siblings, you may have thought about selling them and giving them away, but you never actually did. These brothers were so horrible that they actually did get rid of Joseph this way. And Joseph was bought 
after being trafficked, he was bought, and as really we could say luck would have it, though we think it's more than that, the man who bought him was a wealthy man named Potiphar. He was a wealthy man. He was a politically connected man. He oversaw a lot of things. And then there's a statement about Joseph right at verse two that we need to notice. And it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. That in the middle of everything going on with Joseph, God hadn't left him. Now think about the trauma of Joseph's life. I mean, you're young. You go from being the favorite child to being basically left for dead and then sold by your very own brothers. You've been carted off away from your father's house, away from everything that was comfortable, away from a whole way of doing life that you knew, a way of waking up each day and kind of knowing what's coming. You've now lost all of that, gone. And now you're being carried across to Egypt, a land that Joseph hadn't been to, probably only heard about, if that, and he's being sold into slavery. This is, this is a lot for a person to go through. Like, and it's really easy to read our text and just read like it just keeps happening and Joseph is this kind of stoic through the process. And the text doesn't give us any information about what his emotions were like, but you can only imagine the emotions that would have come over Joseph through all of this pain and all of this suffering and all of this trauma. But in all of that, the text says, the Lord was with them. That he wasn't done with them. That he was watching over Joseph, that he hadn't left, that he wasn't asleep on the job. He was with Joseph. And he was with Joseph in such a way that Potiphar took notice. Everything Joseph did became successful, Potiphar's thinking. And Joseph's life was presumably, um, it was so obvious that something was different about him that Potiphar just kind of knew that God was with him. And I don't know if they had had extended conversations on the side where, where Joseph was like, yeah, you Egyptians, you worship all these gods, but I worship the God of my, my great-great-grandfather Abraham and Isaac and, and the God of my father uh, Jacob. This is a different God. I don't know what that happened. But everything that Joseph did became successful. And in the middle of all the trauma, in the middle of all the difficulty, Joseph remains faithful to his God and faithful to the tasks that he's given. And he lived his life in such a way that the brat has gone from being a brat to being a blessing to Potiphar. And I wonder, as just an aside, if in the moments of difficulty in life, in the moments when things seem oppressive, if we can look at Joseph as a little bit of a guide for us. Speaking personally, my default when things aren't going well is to complain, is to grumble, is to argue, is to think about all of the ways that this could be better. 
Some of you have terrible supervisors at work, bad teachers at school, difficult circumstances, and we're tempted to maybe complain. And who knows, maybe Joseph did a little bit privately. But we do know for sure that Joseph lived his life in the middle of his circumstance with integrity, character, and in such a way that made his God obvious to Potiphar. And in such a way that Potiphar knew that God was with him. And Potiphar, wishing to capitalize on all of this, he just gives Joseph like, everything this kid touches turns to gold. Like, I'm just gonna keep giving him more. And he keeps giving um, Joseph more and more authority, so much so that Joseph pretty much has authority over everything except his food. He's become like his senior business manager. His... A lot has happened to Joseph. And this freedom that Joseph found brought its own set of challenges, and as we'll see, its own set of traumas, which leads to our next point, tempted, harassed, and accused. Joseph's plugging away life. He got the job. He's in charge. But then the the text begins to make a turn and a shift away from explaining like all of this good things that have happened in the middle of all of the bad things. In the text mentioned that Joseph, he's kind of a good looking dude. He's well built. And some point along the way, Potiphar's wife takes notice of him. And it says she, quote, looked longingly at Joseph and asked him to sleep with her. But notice Joseph's character in this moment. In contrast to his wicked brothers, he doesn't give in to sin. He doesn't give in to temptation. Look at what it says in verse eight. This is what he says. Look, he said to his, he said to his master's wife, with, with me here, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in his house and has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? And here in the middle of temptation, in the middle of Joseph being oppressed by the temptation of sin, in the middle of this difficult situation in temptation, Joseph shows that he understands two things. One is that his sin has real and lasting consequences. And second, he understands that his sin would ultimately offend God. If you notice the way Joseph talks, he understands the consequences that, that giving into that temptation, giving into her desire would have done. He shows that like he had worked for all of this stuff, all of this access, all of what he had at this moment, this authority over Potiphar's house, this, this ability to be like Potiphar's right-hand man and his business manager. And he recognizes that if he were to sin, he would put all of that at risk. And he doesn't downplay that risk. He doesn't say, well, we could probably get away with it. Or if we just, if we just were really secretive about this, Potiphar will never find out and I can hold on to all this. He just knows that sin is risky and he says no to it. He also recognizes that the other consequence that could have come was that he would be killed by Potiphar. Like it's a very real thing. So that didn't seem appealing to Joseph either, says no. And at best case scenario, if Potiphar found out, he would just be demoted in his job and could end up back in the slave trade 
that he came from. Another effect of his sin is that that Joseph kind of recognizes that the relationship that he had with Potiphar would completely be destroyed, right? All of the trust that Potiphar had built with Joseph and that Joseph had worked to gain would be lost. And I wonder if we count the cost of our own sin the way Joseph counts the cost of sin. Because every sin that we participate in has some sort of cost to it. It is a threat to your own wholeness and flourishing of life. And it has a relational cost too, right? Every time you sin, it has a potential to break a relationship. Look at that website. could cost you marital intimacy. Let your anger keep getting away with you, keep sinning in your anger, risk losing relationship with your children. Lie to your parents, lose their trust. Gossip, and it could cost you friendship. Sin has consequences. In, I don't have to tell you much more when you can think of your probably your own life, whether mistakes that have been made against you or things that you've done where you could say, yeah, we know, sin has consequences. But Joseph, before he sins, counts the cost of the sin. And he decides, I'm not gonna do it. But the second thing Joseph understands is that while the sin would be against his master and while there would just be this fallout from it, there would, he recognizes that his sin is ultimately against God. I have to think that Joseph knew he was in a privileged position. Like, I mean, you've gone from being sold into slavery to now being in this, like, in charge of this very powerful man's home. He has to have some sort of inkling that God is watching over him. And I, he knows his privileged position. And I wonder, do we remember our own privileged position? That you and I, we have a better position than that of Joseph. We're sons and daughters of God, adopted into his family, co-heirs with Christ. And when we sin, we sin against the God who loves us. Charles Spurgeon said this, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could have ever rebelled against the one who loved me so and sought my good. God is after our good. He is after Joseph's good. And Joseph in this moment, I think, knows that and he understands that I'm not going to risk everything, how far I've come. I'm not going to risk the position I have and I'm not going to sin against God. And when sin and temptation oppressed Joseph, God was still with him. But we see that Potiphar's wife, she doesn't let it go. And the text just getting, keeps getting more and more intense. It says that she's persistent day after day. And essentially what she's doing in the text is harassing Joseph every single day he's at work to sleep with her. Every day, Joseph keeps getting put in these awkward situations with his boss's wife. 
And one might think day after day and think like, oh, a week has gone by. But some pastors and scholars think that Joseph was in Potiphar's house for 11 years. And I don't know at what point Potiphar's wife started being attracted to Joseph and started harassing him. But regardless, it's probably more than a week. It's a long time and it keeps getting worse. And one day Joseph is going about his business and all of the servants are out of the house. And the text says that she grabbed him by the, by the coat and ordered him to, to sleep with her. And now when it says grabbed, the, the kind of the action behind that's going on in the Hebrew is that this, was, this wasn't just like a, a gentle grab of the coat. She was like kind of violent about it. And she orders him to sleep with him. And Joseph does whatever he can to get out of the situation. He runs away, leaving the coat in her hands. And then Potiphar's wife, she's a real piece of work because she makes up this story and essentially blames it all on Joseph so that it was his doing, trying, tries to basically get him in trouble, take out her anger out on him. And then she, in verse 17, says that the Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. And this is kind of like some racial superiority speech too, right? Like she's like that Hebrew over there that you bought, he came to make a fool of me. And she's blaming her husband for even bringing him there in the first place. So Joseph has experienced some awful things. The trauma of being sold into slavery from your family, of being neglected by your brothers, of being accused, falsely accused, of being harassed over and over and over again, and now also a degree of like racism from, from Potiphar's wife as well. It's all crashing down on Joseph. And if you're Joseph, you gotta be thinking, what in the world? Why does all of this stuff keep happening to me? Like, how did I get put in this situation? If you're Joseph, and if I'm Joseph in that situation, I'm thinking, but God, I resisted sin. But God, like, look at all this stuff. I've been living with good character. And how does this stuff keep happening? Sin keeps oppressing Joseph. Whether it's his own sin from the very beginning to the sin of others. But God is still with him. And I want to be careful here, but I want to take a moment to talk about two different things that I think are two different realities going on in this text. The one thing we we see is that we see Joseph really tempted and really fleeing from sin. That That is clear at the beginning in his language that how could I sin against God and do this evil thing. Joseph is resisting. But the other thing I want us to be aware of and that we do see in this text and I want to speak to you just briefly this morning because we don't have time to get into all of this is that at minimum, what Potiphar's wife is doing is a form of sexual harassment. The way that she's conducting herself is wholly inappropriate. And I want to recognize in our world today that whenever we read texts like this, 
that I want to be sensitive to those who've experienced this kind of thing or things much, much worse. The story might have been triggering, could have brought something from your past, from your memory that happened at work or wherever. And I just want to pause and say something that we have seen over and over again in the book of Genesis is that God is with the oppressed. That God is on the side of the oppressed. That he's with you, that he's for you, and that he will never leave you. And that he is a God who hates injustice. We saw this with Hagar. We saw this way back in Genesis 6. We saw this in Genesis 9. We keep seeing it over and over again. God is on the side of the oppressed and those who experience injustice in this world. He is a God who is for the weak and the broken. And as a society, we know that one in four women and one in six men are abused. So that's why I'm pausing to to take a small bit of time on this. Because I want you to know that we want our church to be a safe place for those who've experienced trauma. Because we have a God who has not left the traumatized or the broken or the wounded. We see this in the life of Joseph. His voice wouldn't have been heard. But when sin oppressed Joseph, God was still with him. When it cost him his job to run from what was going on at his work, God was with Joseph. He wasn't with Potiphar and he wasn't with Potiphar's awful wife. In Potiphar's wife, she demonstrates classic perpetrator behavior. She denies something happened. She, she attacks, she, and then she reverses victim and offender. Like She is case study for, for what perpetrators do. She makes up a whole story. She reverses the scenario. But God was with Joseph still. Joseph was in an impossible situation. And when sin oppresses us, God is with us. And listen, whether you're experiencing temptation to sin or you're in a, an awfully, a, you're in an abusive situation or in an awful situation like Joseph, the invitation is the same, to flee from it, to run, and to know that God is with you and that your church is with you. Which leads to our last point. Imprisoned, protected, and preserved. Potiphar hears the story that his wife has all planned out. And what's interesting is that instead of executing Joseph on the spot, which was, the, which was what the penalty was in that time, he sends Joseph to basically political prison. This was a place that was still over Potiphar's 
broad oversight. Because it's almost like Joseph's witness and his character and his integrity was so strong that, that Potiphar doesn't even really believe his wife, but has to do something to maintain honor. So he just like gives Joseph, he puts him in prison, but he puts him in political prison. And we see that Joseph's character still shines forth. He still maintains his honor. Joseph had a level of character and integrity that were so highly thought of. And Potiphar, you don't just wonder if Potiphar believed him. But Joseph is imprisoned. And we read this in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. God was with Joseph once again. And the circumstances of his life were terrible, but God hadn't left him. And notice that the passage keeps bringing this back up again. It brings it up at the very beginning that God was with Joseph, and it brings it up at the end that God was with Joseph because these are the bookends of Joseph's life. And brothers and sisters, these are the bookends to your life as well. That whatever happens in between, God is with you. Thrown into pits, sold into slavery, harassed, accused, imprisoned, God was with him. And one of the things that we keep will keep coming back to you over and over again in Joseph, and one of the themes that is in all of Genesis is this theme of God's sovereignty and his providence, that he rules and overrules all things, and that he's working things for the good of his people. And it you bet Joseph had no idea what that was. You bet Joseph probably wondered what that was. In the doctrine of providence and the doctrine of sovereignty that God is ruling and upholding things by the word of his command has been used as a comfort for the church for years. You might ask, why does God keep allowing these things to Joseph? And Joseph might have been asking the same question, but we've never used things like God's sovereignty and his providence to just explain away all that happened. Rather, they have been this balm for his people to say that no matter what is happening in my life, God is ruling and overruling and with me. I don't know the answers. I don't see how it fits together. I don't know why this disease happened. I don't know why this temptation keeps coming. I don't know why I can't seem to break this sin. I don't know why I keep getting stuck in my job. I don't know why my life just feels meh right now, but God is ruling and overruling all things. This has been a balm for the church. And though Joseph's life was constantly getting turned upside down, God was still with him and he is still with us. Health cares, job decisions, School drama, trials, loneliness, depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, God is with you. God's providence and his power will hold you and sustain you. As Elliot mentioned last week, Joseph was, is ultimately meant to point to Jesus. And as we think through the life of Jesus, we think through a man who is falsely accused, 
completely innocent, who had literally the worst of the worst happen to him. Denied, betrayed by friends, rejected by men, followers scattered. In the garden, knowing what was to come, he sweat drops of blood because the just one was going to die for unjust sinners. He faced down the most impossible situation, death itself. And he came out victorious on the other side. And so brothers and sisters, whenever we're questioning why, why sin keeps oppressing us, whenever we're, we're doubting God's presence with us, we need not look further than a bloody cross and an empty tomb where we see a risen Christ who rules and overrules all things, who promises to work good for his people, who promises to be with us to the very end of the age, even while we don't understand the things that happen between. Because when sin oppresses us, God is still for us and he is with us. And the proof of that is he took all of it on himself.